In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bikita was yesterday, but can't forget her. And Friday was the 100th anniversary of the death of Frank Parader, who was the American uh, college seminarian in Rome from this diocese, which is to say, 100 years ago, this was the Diocese of Richmond, and um, gave up, uh, made a beautiful offering of his life to God very quietly and anonymously, wrote it on a piece of paper, sealed it in an envelope, uh, marked only to be opened in case of my death. Uh, and he died very quietly, uh, February 8, 1920. Um, was just seemingly an ordinary guy. He was in his first year of theology. Or no, it was, uh, it was his first year of uh, philosophy in Rome. And um, there seemed to be nothing special about him until his friends went through his effects to send back to the States because his body had to be buried in Rome. And it turns out he had given his life, he had dedicated his whole life to the sacred heart of Jesus and to the conversion of souls to the Catholic Church in Virginia. And he, he acknowledged in his letter that um, he'll never have an easier judgment because he's not ordained a priest yet, sneaky little guy. And, uh, and he's always admired the saints who died young, St. John Berkman's, Aloysius Gonzaga, so on and so on. And so even though he was willing to live a long life and be a priest back in Virginia, he asked God if he could um, go to heaven by Good Friday, 1920. So he contracted, he, I should pause. He contracted TB uh, in December and died uh, early February. It's not as though he went out to find TB in order to um, suffer but his, um, his, his, his spiritual testament is really, really moving. And I was very edified. I thought I was the only one in the world remembering his 100th anniversary, um, partly because I wasn't doing personal social media. And I found out that the North American College actually did a big uh, commemoration for his 100th anniversary, and there were uh, seminarians and alumni who went to his mausoleum or to the mausoleum of the North American College to, um, to visit his grave, which is really beautiful. His grave, which is in the mausoleum in Campo Verano, which is on the outskirts, the west, uh, rather east, northeast, northeast outskirts of, of Rome, so beyond the train station, um, so well past St. Mary Major, you keep going, you go either underneath or more like, no, you go over the train tracks, then there's a bridge you go underneath, or a vehicular tunnel, and then you keep on walking, and there's Campo Verano. Why do I mention that? It's because today's station church is St. Lawrence outside the walls, which is the ancient basilica next to which the city cemetery, Campo Verano, is built. St. Lawrence outside the walls is the, it's the remote destination um, when pilgrims are visiting the ancient patriarchal basilicas of Rome. Um, St. Lawrence is buried there. Uh, Pius IX is buried there. Um, you walk in, and I highly recommend if, if, if you um, have a chance to go to Rome, obviously go. 
if you can only go to one place, go to Jerusalem. If you can go to two places, go to Jerusalem and go to Rome. And when you're in Rome, make sure you visit the seven ancient patriarchal basilicas. St. Lawrence outside the walls is most remarkable of all of them for the fact that when you walk in, it's not renovated. And it feels as though you are really in the fourth century. And the cosmetesque floor is completely uneven. And everything's old and glorious. And it makes you feel alive in a very Catholic way, which is being totally in touch with all of time and all of history, rather than being in some, uh, you know, laboratory where everything has to be new and clean and fresh and sanitized. Uh, it's totally, totally beautiful. Um, I mentioned that. It's not a complete aside. Uh, I mentioned that because last week especially, but this week too, the, the chant really helps us, in a sense, be purified of this, the over-sanitized um, environment that's out there, right? This is where, this is where we confront reality of, of, of man and God, of sin and grace, where, where, where souls are purified and sanctified, where we, where we acknowledge our sins uh, because we're in the presence of the holy, because we're in the presence of the one who loves us. And it takes time. Uh, it takes time to, to be washed back into a natural uh, state of affairs, such as to be fit to engage with the supernatural. Uh, it takes time. It's not, it's not like you just change your mind and all of a sudden you're here. Um, It's, a, it's not as though up is down and down is up. But when we confront a gospel like this, where we realize that the ways of God are radically different from the ways of man. When, when our Lord corrected St. Peter, said, you were, you're thinking as the devil does. Get behind me, Satan. All right? You are not thinking as God thinks. God's thoughts are beyond just perfect. Um, God's ways are inscrutable to those who do not love him, but to those who accept his love and love him, um, everything God does makes sense, while at the same time absolutely astounding us. And surprising us and humbling us. I've always wondered with this gospel parable are we meant to think that the ones who said, um, we haven't been hired because no, one's, no one came to hire us? Um, what were, where were they? Are we meant to think where they were um, when the householder goes out at nine in the morning and at noon and at three in the afternoon? The eleventh hour is five p.m. Um, 
where have they been until 5 p.m.? And regardless of, of their explanation, he still hires them. 5 p.m. There's, al- there's almost, depending on the time of year, there's almost no time to work, right? We're all, we, someone who knows the earth knows as well that it could very well be minutes from sunset at that point. It might be an hour or two or three, depending on what season of the year it is. Um, God's ways are so far beyond our ordinary comprehension. But he makes it possible for us to, to become wise, to be given the gift of wisdom. It's a good lesson because uh, we're now into a time of penance where prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is the way of life. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving can become a way that we become more gods and less uh, our own, where we are given over to him rather than um, more likely to insist on having things the way we want them, even the holy things, even the sacred things, even our internal things. Now, eventually, as we grow in wisdom and as, as, we, as our will conforms to God, what we want is what God wants. So it's not as though something is strange or wicked just because I want it. But to the degree that we are, are not thinking the way God thinks, to the degree that we're still afflicted by evil, uh, we should be very cautious about what we want, um, but not by virtue of our wanting it, by virtue of the brokenness of the, of the me that's doing the wanting. And so Lent can be a time where we become very strange almost. Um, when I, I think when I, I was 10 years old, when I thought, it was a few years in a row, I have to admit. So maybe it was after First Holy Communion or before. I remember the Fisher-Price toys I had at the time. So maybe it was before, before First Holy Communion. Um, and I was thinking, this Lent is going to be so perfect that by at the end of it, the only thing left to happen will be for me to get the stigmata. That's a strange thought for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old. Because um, it shows no comprehension at all of what, what it will mean to belong to God. Um, but it, to me, it's the epitome of wanting to have things my own, wanting to have things the way I want them, even in the spiritual realm. Instead of realizing that, that the prayer is, is my lifting myself up to God. I, it's, not my, it's not my really successful way of asking things of him. And certainly my fasting, there are, there are so many selfish reasons to fast. But if I'm, if I'm fasting to render my body up to God as a sacrifice, that's very different. And almsgiving. Um, almsgiving can, can easily be a matter of um, doling out rewards, or it can be a matter of um, sort of um, doing favors for our friends, um, or, or it can be something that's just simply... Um, a matter of, you know, it's part of rendering to God what is God's. 
right, through his people, namely through his church. Uh, Yesterday's Wall Street Journal had a fascinating example of that. If you don't get the journal, you can take this afterwards. Um, Big picture of a church. And it says, the Mormon church amassed $100 billion, the best kept secret in the investment world. I'm not envious, that's not the point. Uh, The claims of the whistleblower that brought it to the attention of the IRS aren't particularly interesting. What is interesting is this, that it started rather small, maybe a million, you know, so seven-figure account maybe 40 years ago. Um... Besides its own earnings, you know, uh, its, its capital comes from the excess of the tithe that Mormons give their church. So Mormons give their church 10% of income. That totally, and the article goes into this, that covers church operating expenses. What's left over goes into this investment fund which is now more than twice the size of the endowment of Harvard University. Uh, Amazing. Um, Needless to say, there there are Mormons now thinking of giving less. Uh, So there you have it. Um, But it's... it is an, it's an amazing thing to, to, to see an example of what happens when people give 10%. And 10% is the, it's the standard, it's the norm. When we're talking about almsgiving, uh, uh, we can't avoid talking about tithing. Um, and I'll mention it at least twice a year, you know, leading up to Lent for the Bishop's Lenten Appeal. In the fall, when the annual financial report comes out, Tithing, giving 10% is the biblical standard. It's the most non-discriminatory way of calculating it because it's just a percentage. It's the same for rich, the same for poor. Uh, It also doesn't discriminate against the mathematically challenged because all you do is you just move the decimal point just one place. It's totally non-discriminatory. And it's prophetic too because did the decimal system exist thousands of years ago in that part of the world? Doubt not. Totally prophetic to give a tenth. Uh, and I've never asked for all of the 10%. I've never even suggested that it should all go only to the diocese and to the parish. But it, it, it's, part of because, it's partly because of my blind confidence that if every parishioner gives 10% of their income, period, to charity, specifically church, specifically things that pertain to this, the works of mercy, maybe even especially the spiritual, but also the corporal works of mercy too. Um, if people, if everyone is conscious of giving away 10% of their income, I'm pretty sure that the parish ends up with 1%, um, probably. I'm pretty sure the diocese ends up with 1%, more than likely. Either uh, without restriction, just to the bishop's Latin appeal, or just to something specifically whether it's the expense of paying for seminarians or the expense of buying land and establishing new parishes, uh, out of recognition that this is the only diocese in the world where 10% of the parishes have the old mass every Sunday. Uh, it's the only 
diocese in the world where a third of the priests know the old mass with the encouragement of the ordinary who's encouraging it despite it's not necessarily being uh, uh, what he does. It's a remarkable place. Um, at the same time, some people just want to give to something uh, specifically, uh, and that has merit too. But I'm, I'm just blindly confident if everyone is giving 10% of their income, I'm sure the parish has all of its expenses covered. This, I'm sure the school has all of its expenses covered. I haven't run the numbers. <clears throat> I'm not going to ask someone at the journal to, to do an analysis. But that's just... Um, uh, it's because of, it, the, where does that confidence come from? The confidence comes from knowing that there are so many people who give zero. And if everyone gave 1%, everything's changed. So if we, if we take um, prayer and fasting and almsgiving seriously, um, there will be... Um, the world will be different. Um, the world already is different because some of us pray, some of us fast, some of us give alms. The world is already different because of that. Their soul is being saved because of that. Imagine how much more is done and how many more souls are saved when all of us pray and all of us fast and all of us give alms. So I encourage you to get into this into the spirit of the violet, and to get ready for to get ready for Lent. Um, the church is uh, benevolent <clears throat> to give us uh, an easing in period uh, to warn us. Uh, some people have already begun Lent uh, in earnest already a few weeks ago. Um, for others, it'll it'll begin in earnest on February twenty sixth. Um. A hundred years ago, when Frank Prater was finishing his last uh, prayers, the church was um, the church's practice for Lent was everyone keeps Monday through Friday as Ash Wednesday or Saturday as well. Just one meal. If you're going nuts, have a snack. If you're still going nuts, can't do your work, can't be charitable, can't um, hold your tongue, have another snack. Um, Lent wasn't a time of strange, creative, personal uh, practices. Um, and obviously, there's, there can always be an exception for this or for that. But to, but to imagine the, the, the experience of the communion of saints, knowing that we are all not just joined in fasting until Mass, until we receive Holy Communion, but for all of those days, we are, we are genuinely fasting. Imagine how much more glorious Sunday becomes when Monday through Saturday are days of fasting. And imagine how, how it, it makes everyone realize without saying a word how, yes, we are amidst people of the world and we can feel it in our bones how different we are how different God wants us to become. And it is difficult. 
And it's still a beautiful, powerful thing. So we beg the Lord to make us like him, to make our heart like unto his, to make our minds like his will, and to help us to love as he loves us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.